Hi guys, thank you so much for joining me today for episode 11 of season three of Chatting with Creators. I'm so excited to be in this new media lab with you guys and diving into Disney's Rosalind with Drum and Lace and Ian talking about their amazing score. With this episode, you will see and hear a few technical issues on my side where I accidentally recorded to the cloud instead of my local computer making the image and the sound a little bit grainy. However, I think you will still find that this podcast is full of amazing content as we dive into the nitty gritty of the technology and the techniques that the composers use in this score. Let's get into it. Hi. How are you? Good, how are you? Good, thank Good. you. Sorry, it's so dark in here. We're in our little cave. <laughs> and <it's, laughs> That's okay. It's not sunny in LA today, so uh, we don't have any of our natural light. <laughs> yeah. Not sunny in LA. No. I know. Fancy. <laughs> well, it's also not sunny here on the East Coast, so I'm not used to us both having non-sunny days. <laughs> my, my older sister actually lives in LA, so she's always bragging about how she has better weather than me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's better weather until then you have like 118 degree weather for a week and then you're like, oh, that's not that's not very nice. <laughs> At least we can all agree that it's better than Arizona weather. Sure. Yeah, yes. let's yes, let's let's all agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, any questions before we get started? I don't yeah, think so. I think we're good. Awesome. Well, thank you and happy premiere day. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. We're very excited uh, about all that we've been seeing people post online and just the, the excitement overall has been really great to see. Mm -hmm. It it was funny. Somebody texted me this morning and they're like, have you seen Rosalind yet? And I'm like, yes, I have, but I can't talk about when I saw it because they texted me at 5 a.m. They're like, have you seen it yet? I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, you know I wake up at 6 a.m., so this feels like a trick question. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, for anyone who might be living under a rock for the past uh, 14 hours, would you please introduce yourselves and Rosalind to the audience? Yeah, um, my name is Sophia. I'm a composer that works under the name Drum and Lace, um, and I'm one of the composers of Rosalind. Uh, my name is Ian Holquist, and I am the other composer of Rosalind, which is the new film out on Hulu, uh, directed by Karen Maine, starring and, Caitlin Deaver. And Di Disney Plus uh, worldwide. And Disney Plus in Europe. Mm -hmm. Worldwide. Worldwide. <laughs> yeah. Flashback to when this project was first brought to you. What were your thoughts when you heard Romeo and Juliet was being retold yet again? What were your thoughts on this new perspective? Uh, I think we both really enjoyed reading the script for it. It just felt like such a fun, fresh take. And just so fascinating, too, that this character, Rosalind, has in existed in text for so long. But as far as we know, has never really gotten like a full-bodied personality, has never really like, been given a real voice before. And, and just thought that it was like such a great idea to run with yeah and also just the way that the that Rosalind's characters portrayed you know being so ahead of her time and just uh, such a revolutionary you know for the time period and just kind of like in thought and everything so we were really excited yeah absolutely it took me back to gosh 
nine years ago, holy shit. Nine years ago when I was a freshman in high school and we were doing Romeo and Juliet and we had a day where we all tried to do a different Rosalind. Like, is she a hundred percent that bitch? Is she sheepish? <laughs> like, who is she? Cause we had like the least context with her. So that meant we had the most options. Mm-hmm. And I really love the options that they picked here. Yeah. It was better than what us 14 year olds came up with. <laughs> Amazing. So something I thought was interesting when I was going over uh, the email I got from your publicist over at White Bear PR was the description of this music being Baroque pop. Do you think that musicologists, going back to music school days, do you think musicologists or music professors would agree with the style slash genre being Baroque pop? Uh, Well, we... We actually think Renaissance pop has a better ring to it. Um, I like that too. That sounds a lot cooler. Yeah, Yeah. right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's just, it's an easy way for us to describe, um, sort of give an idea of the instrumentation, but then also um, the intention of how the harmony and melody were used, you know, because we're definitely Mm -hmm. using some period instruments, you know, like Renaissance instruments but then we're using it in an idiom that's very contemporary you know like they wouldn't have been um writing in with this type of harmonic content back with these instruments so it's definitely like something um different and I think that the especially to describe to like a you know younger audience that's not musically inclined I think this is the best way was that's what we came up Mm -hmm. with I I think I don't know they might fight us on it if they're like really sticklers but i think they might agree with it mm-hmm. i think it's as close as we could get to still to like having it be like a renaissance pop score while also still serving the film the right way yeah mm-hmm. i honestly like I, one of the reasons i like the way renaissance pop sounds so much is i really hate how in bridgerton they call everything a classical arrangement Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's nothing classical about this. You just gave it to a string quartet. Yeah. 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 This is definitely, um, you know, there's a lot of similarities, I think, you know, especially when we were doing the covers and whatnot, but it is also um, a level of production just because of like also adding some contemporary instruments, you know, it's, it's a mix. Whereas I feel like that's more, as you're saying, just like a string quartet um, playing stuff, but you know, it's very much kind of, in line with what's been happening, you know, the anachronistic music, like the, the the contrast of like the time period with the modern music. That, and that was a perfect segue into another one of the questions that I have prepared. With this film being so full of cover songs, what was your favorite song to cover? Uh, um, I mean, they were all good, honestly. The the biggest chuckles were definitely for the all by myself. I mean, it's just like mm-hmm. it's pure, you know, once the drums hit and you're just like, oh, my God, we're in like schmaltzy land. You know, it's just like it just imagining, you know, the only thing that would make it better is if like Celine Dion came in and like sang over it, which is yeah. so epic. Um, I don't know. I love your voice on there. Oh, well, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, I think the most nerve wracking might have been dancing on my own just because we're I mean, gigantic Robin fans and yeah. we're scared of <laughs> a disservice. I mean, I really like how the Escape cover turned out. I think Escape is great. That, yeah, that turned out really it, well. It lends itself so well to a lute 
instead of a guitar, you know, and it just, it just works. I honestly, I agree with you. So like, I love the way the loot sounds in that one. And actually when escape came on, I immediately hit the Google and I'm like, do full covers of these songs like exist like full length covers or did you guys really only do like that one or two cues uh the for robin and the enrique iglesias we did full on song covers that are on the soundtrack yeah so it's like three to four minute songs um just because we didn't know we wanted to have the option for the production and the music editors to be able to like cut in more if they needed to and you know like the scenes changed throughout um us working on it so we just figured that doing a full fuller you know a couple choruses and a couple verses um and also it was more fun for us so (laughs) no i love that and i especially love that i can see that you guys are like actually fans of this music it's so much fun as you mentioned like this seems change pretty quickly how did you approach this unique blend of synthetic and acoustic and period instruments in your score? How were those kinds of choices made? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there was necessarily like a clear like decision when we were writing like, oh, this needs to be synth, it needs to be that. We just kind of, we we actually worked on the songs before we started doing the score. We did those two cover songs like really early on as they were still filming because they wanted those arrangements to portray on screen. Um, so that kind of already gave us the palette of Renaissance instruments we were going to use. Um, and then when we started with our score, I think we just started bringing in synths kind of like as needed. Um, mm-hmm. We write with synths a lot in the music that we do. So I think we would just kind of be like, well, we can cover as much ground here as we can with like a string quintet, but we could also then like kind of go into new territory if we bring the synth pad in or something like that. Um, it, I feel like it happened kind of organically and then maybe we would go back and embellish things here and there just to kind of make it feel a bit more lively. Yeah, the synths help to kind of like interject a little bit of energy, I think, and uh, invigorate the score a bit because the the period instruments for sure, a lot of them don't have much sustain. So it's very plucky, whereas I think that the synths um, and the strings really help to kind of like flesh out and add more texture overall. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And going a little bit into our deep dive into that for our music majors out there, myself included, what is your DAW of choice? And if I were to look at a project right now, how organized would it look? So I can say it's very organized. That's one of the things we pride ourselves in and well, organization. Well, beginning of a project or end of a project? <laughs> well, but still, I feel like we do a very good job of keeping, like we bounce stems within our project. Like we, we try to keep things as clear as possible. So hopefully it would be, it would seem really clear to every, to anyone else, but. Yeah, um, yeah we, we both use Cubase as our main DAW. Um, and yeah, we, we do try and be as organized as we can. It really helps us to like, especially when you're three months into a project and like have to pull up a queue from three months earlier yeah. to try and make sure that it's all uniform. Um, but yeah. you know, you, once you get to the end of a project, it's just kind of like anything goes at some point. <laughs> we also, we use this uh, program called VideoSync that hosts our video that hosts, you know, the reels or the film. Um, and that makes it a lot easier to be organized within the Cubase session, just because we're not having to drag video in or yeah. deal with that. Um, and then, you know, we do also use um, Ableton for like sound generation, just like if we're doing a session of sounds, um, we'll sometimes do that. And then we always end up using Pro Tools when we're sending, um, 
you know, mock-ups or if we do have to bounce video or if we're working with the music editors and have to make like a quick audio edit. Often it'll be in Pro Tools too. Mm -hmm. Wow, y'all got it right in there. I am, my last film, I, I personally use Logic because that's, well, because that's what my main school used in undergrad and my last project I got, I thought I was done and I had 38 instruments on there and then it crashed and said, you have overloaded the system. And then I realized it's because I hadn't bounced anything. Oh my God. Um, yeah. 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 Most people we know use Logic. We're, we're one of the few that use Cubase, I feel like, but we're just so used to it. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've hey. found that Cubase works, works for us. So yeah. Hashtag not a sponsor. Yes. No. <laughs> Yet. Yeah. I know Cubase has been, um, sponsoring more and more composers so yeah never know never know we're here steinberg call us <laughs> <Yeah. up. laughs> well kind of along those same lines if east west or spitfire or any of those guys hit you up and said they wanted to release a rosalind digital instrument lab what would you guys have on it that's huh. That's funny. I mean, like, I'll, we use a lot of Spitfire and actually, like, mock up, yeah. we use a ton of it when we were writing the score. Um, we use a lot of Abbey Road, too, like pizzicato strings to write all those parts. Mm -hmm. Oh, and um, we used the new string uh, library because it had the, didn't we? The, it was um, Abbey Road, too. No, I think we used something else. I can't remember the, the name of it, but it was like a new string um, library. Or maybe it was a Pastinata strings. I don't know. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I I would say maybe Sophia's voice because that's one mm -hmm. of the I don't know it's it's a very unique tone that mm -hmm. we've used in a lot of scores when we write together and she uses in her own music and yeah. I think it'd be cool to have a virtual Sophie yeah <laughs> <laughs> the the Sophie AI here yeah. to improve all your vocal scores mm -hmm. exactly yeah that's not bad we're hitting up Spitfire we're gonna put it in the store yeah the next three hundred dollar lab yeah. session. Yeah, a good a good lute would be nice to have. Good lute, those are hard to find. Yeah, or oh like gosh. a prepared harpsichord. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> yeah. What? How do you guys like to do prepared harpsichord? What do you prepare it with? Well, we didn't get to do that just because we used um, we used soft synth obviously for the mock up, mm. and then we have a had a live player uh, perform because those instruments are very um delicate and you know they're they're expensive and i wish we could afford to just have a harpsichord around but we do not next film we'll but go. if you got to what would you prepare it with uh probably play around just i don't know it'd be like experimentation try some like mm -hmm. pong balls rubber bands yeah maybe some crayons just throw belt, it in there belt harpsichord that'd be weird yeah. <laughs> who knows oh yeah that would be so much fun yeah. There was this old program at the University of Nebraska Lincoln from a while back where some of the engineers were like rebuilding harpsichords, like they were building wow. them as an engineering project. So maybe like we can find an old school out there that like did a similar project and has like these old engineering major created harpsichords and you guys could experiment with that so that the music historians don't like. Yeah, perish. that's really cool actually. To get an engineering student to build yeah. instruments. Good idea. Very cool. I don't know what else they're doing that's worthwhile. Yeah. <laughs> Before they all destroy me in the comment yeah. section, that was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So back to Rosalind. What cue took you guys the most tries to get? 
I think uh, the croquet scene. Yeah, the croquet scene for sure. Uh, we just, it was tricky to find the right balance of comedy without being too dark while still kind of having energy and not getting like too out, too away from where we need to be. Um, yeah, and not stepping on dialogue and allowing for the delivery of the actors to um, land. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very simple musical cue, but it took a handful of tries to really try and make it right. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I hear a lot of composers talk about on this show, and I've experienced myself personally doing films, is that comedy always seems to be the hardest thing yeah. to do. Mm -hmm. And one thing I just was struck by right away with this music was even when it felt really metered, like I could just conduct it after listening to it one time, was it all the comedic timing still felt like it was just right. Those flutes hitting on just the right moment. What is your guys's approach to meeting that comedic timing? I mean, honestly, I think for a lot of the comedy cues, we may have just written something, you know, to to click and kind of like two bars and then as needed move them. Um, Cause we find that sometimes it's easier to have kind of like a consistent piece of music that then you can kind of cut. And then, you know, if you, if you just drag and drop audio and MIDI and you're all of a sudden on the end of the third beat, it's easier to do that when you've already got something rather than, than like starting to write from that spot. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also the, you know, the scenes and the edits were changing so often that doing tempo changes would have just been more of a headache. Um, so we often use less uh, tempo changes and more, when we can, less tempo changes and just more dragging within the timeline, I think. Yeah, I, I think we're both really good about watching a scene and figuring out the rhythm of it quickly. And then um, we don't, we try not to like overdo it with tempo changes and yeah. all that stuff. Just we like to keep it simple. Yeah, because um, the moment if you accidentally delete something, then everything is off and it just becomes a. Yeah, well, I've seen some composer sessions where their tempo track is like this, and it's like, mm -hmm. how do you conform that? Like, I don't want to deal with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and like reverbs. I mean, there's one specific moment in uh, the score where we um when we were bouncing it out there is a tempo change oh yeah and uh there was this like really funny you know like when you do a tempo change and you've got a lot of reverb on something it ends up doing this like you know like revving up mm -hmm. sort of sound and we kind of left it in as a mistake and they put it in the picture and they loved it so then you know when we were like okay we're going to send you the new version we took that out because we were like oh it's a mistake and the director karen main was actually like wait where's that little squiggly thing <laughs> sometimes like the mistakes that happen from the tempo changes can be interesting sonically mm -hmm. um it's mm -hmm. when it's too much of a spoiler it's at the end of the film we'll yeah yeah i was gonna say i know exactly what moment you're talking about they're in so the I don't chapel want to get yeah mm -hmm. yeah so it was it was originally not intentional and then it became very intentional yeah yeah well, originally I was going to save this picture, this question for the end, but we just streamlined into it really quickly without giving context because Disney doesn't like spoilers. Okay. What is your favorite one liner from the film? My favorite was you're a woman. You're not supposed to talk about what you want. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a good one. There's, there's a few that got cut, but, um, call me when your wisdom teeth come in. 
It's one of my favorites. Oh, I, I oh love that God. one. Yeah, that one's great. Um, also, um, oh, what's, I'm paraphrasing now, but there's somebody says like, um, and we look forward to you bringing in uh, a bunch of strapping young men and a coach <laughs> goes, excuse yes. me. And they say like, oh, sons. And, and they go, yes. And then like, no, yes. <laughs> mm. I think that's one of my favorite interactions yeah. of the film. Yes. Um, Spencer Stevenson, who plays Paris is oh amazing. I love everything Paris. Oh, so funny. Yeah, there's so oh, many gosh. little moments. Um, Mini Driver, the nurse has so many good moments. Mm -hmm. Like get, oh up, my gosh. get up, you lazy cow. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, <laughs> gonna start saying that. Oh my gosh. The nurse was another character that I just loved seeing be, be given like an actual personality because there's yeah. so much in the script where in the script, she literally doesn't have a name. It's just nurse. Mm -hmm. Yes. There used to be a whole joke about how her name is Janet and everyone just thinks her lot, her actual name was registered Janet. Mm -hmm. it was, it, yeah, it's, it's really <laughs> funny. And it's, but it's cool. It, it, exactly. From like the Shakespearean scripts, these characters, side characters are never given the humanity that they deserve. You know, they're just like side characters. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. it's so cool to see the development and that they're like fully fleshed out and you know, have stories to tell. It's it's great. Oh my gosh. One thing I especially, honestly, like my favorite thing that they did with the original script was they actually did Juliet's age. Obviously the actress doesn't look like a child, but especially with let me know when your wisdom teeth come in. Like uh -huh. this is like a literal child. She's not even old enough to marry by classical standards yeah yeah and that's one thing i loved was even though they don't look like children because the actors and actresses because this is an adultier film we're like this is not the, the these are children in fact yeah the whereas every other adaptation they're like these are definitely adults and these are rash rational decisions yeah uh -huh. yeah for sure for sure all right so we had our first Q hardness question earlier. What we said, we, so we know what Q now took you guys the longest. What Q just kind of worked on the first go or first couple goes? Like, what do you feel like was one of those things you guys got right almost right away? I think the, maybe the letter writing scenes. Yeah. Um, Rosalind writes, um, a letter a couple letters throughout the movie and those those were kind of liked universally from the first go also i feel like the the horse escape scene yeah didn't really change too much from our first go at it it was mainly just kind of like mm -hmm. cleaning up a little bit maybe some like slight picture edits but yeah that was our original idea is pretty much what you see in the film for that scene which for us we're proud of because like that's one of our favorite moments of the whole movie yeah yeah, absolutely. One thing I really loved was that th there's only like two or three, maybe four, like really actiony mm -hmm. moments in the film. You guys really delivered them. So it felt like action, like you easily could have delivered it. So it just felt like play comedy once again, but it felt like immersive, like something's actually at stake. Oh, thank, oh, you. thank you. Yeah. How that... you think that? Because those were notes we got. Yeah. The... <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely um, upping the ante. I think we had um, a percussionist called Hal Rosenfeld that we um, love, and he just did such a good job um, with the percussion and mm. drum sets and everything. So 
um, it's that, and then the string players really, really yeah, those, great. Those once we got recorded, we're like they really just felt so much energy and fun and excitement. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I got one last technical question for you. What was your approach to getting the parts of your score that were live recordings? Uh, so we worked with Catherine Joy and her amazing team at Joy Music House, mm -hmm. um, who we've collaborated with a lot over the past few years. Um, she's got a whole slew of like talented orchestrators who I think are starting to get familiar with our writing style. Yeah. Um, and we were actually lucky enough to have Catherine in New York with us at the recording sessions to kind of help uh, score produce and make sure that we're getting the performances that we want from the players. Yeah. And we had three days at uh, Power Station, uh, which is used to be Avatar Studios in New York. And we got to record um, strings for one full day and another half day. And then we had um, another half day of woodwinds and then a full day of um, harp, lute, harpsichord, piano, um, and then an afternoon of drum kit and percussion. So it was, you know, like an actually serious um, amount of time that we had in the studio and everyone just was so excited and so happy. And it was, it was in uh, May of 2022. And I think it was one of the first times that a lot of people had gone together in the studio um, because of the pandemic. So I think there's just like this electricity and everyone was just really grateful. And um, it was just, it was really, really fun. It was fun to be around people and feel like we had a team and all of that. That's so much fun. All right, before we close out, what is one thing each that you guys think music fans should definitely be listening for when they watch Rosalind? Ooh. There, we, it's really hard to hear, so you might have to listen on headphones, but in, there's a big climactic moment where Rosalind is running towards the chapel at the end. Uh, we hit a dog bark in there a couple of times. Yeah. So see if you can we find we that. always try to sneak um, our dog barking into our scores. So there's definitely that. Um, I think it's just it's interesting to just listen out for when um, the synthesized and the non-synthesized work well together. There's a cue called "Mind mm -hmm. the Fish," which I think uh, we were able to strike a nice balance between that. You know, it's like um, a mix of like one of those little Korg drum machines like the Volca beats it's like that then playing with you know a 14 15 string ensemble and mm. percussion and uh wooden flutes and metal flutes I mean there's just texturally there's just like a lot going on um but I think that's one of the cues that has the most yeah action going on awesome well thank you guys so much for your time and joining me on chatting with creators it was amazing to hear about your unique perspectives and all the techniques that you used on this film congrats again on the premiere and i hope you guys get to enjoy your weekend thank, thank you, you so, so much, much for having us it was a pleasure talking to you of course thank you bye bye hi guys thank you so much for watching this episode of chatting with creators or listening on your favorite place to find podcasts for more episodes be sure to check the description below as well for links to find all of my information as well as Drum and Laces and Ian's. Make sure that you view Rosalind on Disney Plus internationally and on Hulu in the USA. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your week and I'll see you next week for another episode of Chatting with Creators. Bye.